This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. We're going to begin here with the outbreak of a mystery virus in China that now has the World Health Organization on... Growing health scare, the respiratory virus outbreak coming from China, now setting off global... Concern is growing over a possible outbreak of a new SARS-like virus. Almost a year and a half ago, a new virus was discovered in Wuhan, China. The disease that it caused, COVID-19, went on to wreak havoc around the world. But where did the virus come from? And how did this story really begin? Hello and welcome to Babbage from Economist Radio, our weekly podcast on technology and science. I'm Natasha Loder, The Economist's health policy editor. This week, we're investigating one of the most compelling mysteries of the pandemic. How exactly did SARS-CoV-2 emerge? We'll explore whether an animal market opened the door to this new virus. We know live snakes and frogs and fish, even crocodiles were sold there. But which animals may have played a role in the outbreak? Often bats will be reservoirs for these coronaviruses. They carry them, they have them as part of their natural ecology. And is it possible that a leak from a laboratory is responsible for the pandemic? Potential safety breaches should be taken seriously. There are labs in Wuhan carrying out coronavirus research. When I heard about a mysterious new pneumonia in Wuhan, China, in early January of 2020, it sounded just like SARS all over again. Many others thought the same. SARS emerged in 2003, and it's also believed to have originated in China. The coronavirus that causes SARS was traced to the civet cat, a wild animal considered a delicacy in parts of South China. It is thought to have infected live animals that were traded in wet markets and then jumped to restaurant workers. What is known today as COVID-19 was, at the end of 2019, a mysterious new respiratory disease that centred around a wet market in Wuhan. The first cases of coronavirus have been traced back to the Huanan seafood wholesale market in the city of Wuhan. A spillover is when a virus moves from a species in which it is normally found into a new species. Amanda Fine is a veterinarian in the Wildlife Conservation Society, overseeing their work in Asia. It could be from one animal species to another or from an animal to a human. There are a number of ways that this virus spillover event can happen, but all of them include some kind of contact between the animal that is hosting the virus and the other species. And that contact can be with blood or feces or another kind of bodily fluid that has the virus present. Sometimes it could also be what we call aerosolized, so that the virus could move on very small droplets that are exhaled from the animal, or that are sometimes in the environment and then inhaled by the recipient species. 
The Huanan Seafood Market in Wuhan was the obvious place for this contact to occur. Many of those who'd fallen ill had links to this market. All that seemed to remain was to find the animal source of the outbreak. The Chinese authorities swooped in, shut down the market, and sent in scientists to collect samples. But then, in January, news arrived that undercut this scenario. We went back and forth for a long time on what are the first known cases. Peter Dazak is the president of EcoHealth Alliance, a non-profit group that aims to prevent pandemics. And it turns out that there was a paper in Lancet early on in the outbreak that said four or five cases in early December were not associated with the market. With early cases of COVID-19 emerging that had no link to the market, the origin story started to look a whole lot more complicated. The market could have been the place where the new virus was amplified, just a super-spreading event. But the question of exactly how it emerged remained unanswered. One thing was clear from early on. The nearest relatives of the virus SARS-CoV-2 were all found in bats. Often bats will be reservoirs for these coronaviruses. They carry them, they have them as part of their natural ecology. And that in cases in the past where a pathogen has then been discovered or described in humans, that is a coronavirus, or in other domestic animals, there has been an intermediate species where the new virus or the mutation that has occurred from the reservoir that you find in bats has happened. And we believe that it is likely and very plausible that that has happened with SARS-CoV-2. But unlike the first SARS outbreak, scientists have not identified that particular intermediate species yet. Yet the nearest viral relatives to SARS-CoV-2 were found in caves more than 800 miles away in southern China, in a province called Yunnan, which has borders with Vietnam, Laos and Myanmar. If bats in this region had been the source of the novel virus, then how did it arrive in Wuhan? Into the information vacuum in the early part of 2020, speculation grew that the virus might have started in one of the Wuhan laboratories that worked on bat coronaviruses. Pointing to a lab leak potential as early as I did in sort of March 2020 put me in a very uncomfortable space. Philippa Lentzos is a senior lecturer in science and international security at King's College London. The origin question was so politicized. There were so many conspiracy theories and misinformation that I certainly didn't want to tap into or enlarge, if you like. There was certainly concern about feeding a rumor mill used by the Trump administration to shift blame for its response to the pandemic. Whether it started off as a mistake and then they made another one or did somebody do something on purpose? That's a hard question for them to answer. So yeah, it was a very uncomfortable argument uh, to make, and it was a little bit of a lonely argument uh, to be making. I think at the moment, both the natural spillover and our research-related safety laps are possibilities, and they both need to be seriously investigated. The main finger of suspicion fell on the Wuhan Institute of Virology, which is supposed to maintain the highest level of biosafety precautions when handling pathogens. High containment labs are designed and built to work safely with the most dangerous bacteria and viruses. So these are pathogens that cause 
serious or even lethal human disease and for which we don't really have therapeutic interventions. And these labs are fitted with air filtration systems, access to them is controlled, clothes and shoes have to be changed when you enter and leave the lab, all effluent, all the waste that's coming out of the lab should be decontaminated, waste should be sterilized. All of these very stringent measures should be in place in high containment facilities. But even with all of these mechanisms and procedures in place, accidents can happen. And studies show that they happen all the time all over the world. Now, the vast majority of those safety lapses are small accidents. You might break a beaker or there's a hole in your glove or the tape doesn't seal your suit perfectly or you spill some liquid. Most of them don't have very serious consequences, but some of them do. Throughout 2020, debate continued about whether the virus came from a natural spillover or a laboratory leak. And there was real pressure to find an answer. Without knowing where COVID-19 came from, there was no way of knowing whether a COVID-23 or a COVID-29 might emerge. The international community pressed China to allow it to go back into the country to investigate. After much delay, China agreed. It allowed a team of scientists gathered by the World Health Organization to travel into China this January. Peter Daszak was one of those on this mission. I was looking for a couple of key things. One is, we know that the nearest relative viruses are in South China. And we also know that Wuhan is a big modern city with a high-tech industry and high-speed rail lines and all this stuff. So it seems strange that a virus... That the last time it emerged, SARS-CoV emerged through the wildlife markets of Guangdong in South China. You didn't expect that to be going on in Wuhan. Peter Dazak's area of expertise is on emerging infectious diseases. He's worked for years with Chinese scientists on bat coronaviruses in the country. The overarching image I got when I stepped into that Huanan seafood market was... This is just like every other wet market I've been to in Southeast Asia. This is not the image that we saw. The image we saw was a market that was closed with those blue shutters in front of it. And it looks very clean and neat. And you think, oh, it's like a market in Northern England or something from you know the 70s and the 80s. Well, actually, when you get in there, it's sold live animals. It's old and pretty decrepit. There are narrow alleyways that would have been full of people. And there are these grids on the side of the alleyways where... We've seen photographs from a few years before that had live animals over the grids. We've seen investigative reporters talking about live animals being sold in this market. We know live snakes and frogs and fish, even crocodiles were sold there. But we've not seen really definitive evidence that live mammals were sold there. But there is circumstantial evidence out there. Viral genetics also offers many clues to the origin of COVID-19. Scientists have been analysing the sequences of coronaviruses to try and find close relations of SARS-CoV-2. By doing so, they hope to trace its route into humans. But what are the scientists looking for, genetically speaking? It's got to have very similar genetic sequence, 99 plus percent similarity. It's got to have very similar binding site characteristics. So the sequence of the binding domain has to be very similar to SARS-CoV-2. There are lots of issues and lots of details that may or may not be there in the ancestral viruses. We don't know how long SARS-CoV-2 was circulating in people before it became an outbreak. It may have been a few months, and that may have been long enough for it to evolve a little bit. But all that can be fitted into 
the viruses that people start finding in the wild. And we'll have really good scientific evidence at some point soon about where that is. The closest relative to SARS-CoV-2 is called RATG13, first found in the Yunnan province, South China. It is another bat coronavirus, and it is 96.2% similar to SARS-CoV-2. That sounds like a pretty good match, but in viral terms, that difference would take several decades to evolve. RATG13 is not the parent of this virus. It's a clue, and it tells us that we're in the right area in South China, very close to the border of Myanmar and Laos. So that's the region that you'd want to be looking in. It's it's a limestone uh, landscape with lots of caves, a huge abundance and diversity of bats, and there will be other viruses there. And somewhere in that mix, there will be the real ancestor of SARS-CoV-2. Inside China, the Yunnan region has drawn scientists interested in bat coronaviruses for years. One of these scientists is Shi Zhengli, and she is one of the world's leading bat coronavirus researchers. She works at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, and she discovered the RATG13 virus. Yet some think that the search for an ancestor to SARS-CoV-2 needs to look across the border from China. Much less work has been done on coronaviruses in Myanmar, Laos and Vietnam, even though they're hotspots of bat biodiversity. The bats themselves, on either side of the border, are essentially part of the same population. Others, though, wonder whether it was the act of researching and collecting these viruses and taking them back to the laboratory in Wuhan that could have driven the outbreak. There are labs in Wuhan carrying out coronavirus research, Philippa Lentzos again. Sometimes making the viruses more dangerous, sometimes infecting lab animals with coronaviruses. And these activities carry clear risks of infection. We know also that the Wuhan Institute of Virology researchers were creating chimeric viruses in the years before the pandemic. Chimeric viruses are hybrid viruses with genetic mixtures of two or more different viruses, and they can sometimes result in new viruses that are even more dangerous than the parent viruses. And and this is what happened when the Wuhan Institute of Virology team combined a coronavirus circulating in Chinese horseshoe bats with SARS-CoV. Now, that work was very controversial at the time. It was some years ago now, with some scientists saying that if that virus escaped, nobody could predict the trajectory. The joint China WHO study group that just visited Wuhan did not ask for access to the virus database so that we would know exactly what sort of viruses they have logged in there. But even if SARS-CoV-2 isn't in their database, it doesn't mean that the initial spillover into the human population couldn't have been the result of a research-related safety lapse. Recently, Robert Redfield America's former CDC boss told CNN that he believes the virus came from a lab. I still think the most likely uh, etiology of this pathogen in Wuhan was from a laboratory, um, you know, escaped. Uh, It's not unusual for respiratory pathogens that are being worked on in a laboratory to infect the laboratory worker. There are other labs operating in and around Wuhan that might have played a role such as the Wuhan Center for Disease Control and Prevention. We tend to hear a lot about the Wuhan Institute of Virology, but there are also other lower containment facilities operating in Wuhan that are also working with coronaviruses. 
The scientists on the World Health Organization's mission have been criticised for not investigating the lab leak hypothesis thoroughly enough. We didn't do a forensic investigation of a lab, without a doubt. Peter Daszak, again. But what we did do is we asked the scientists and the managers in the lab, I think, pretty tough questions. There's been a lot of conspiracies, there's been a lot of hypotheses around how it could have got out of that lab. We asked all of them, and some of these were just not issues you could talk openly about in China because of the politics. So to get those answers, I think, is really important. You've worked with the Wuhan Institute of Virology. What do you make of the lab leak hypothesis? It was a very well-run lab. They did all the things you would expect them to do in terms of testing the staff, psychological evaluation before you're allowed to work in the biocontainment labs, auditing and checking the, the facility. And there's just nothing there that would suggest further work. So that's why we came up with the conclusion, extremely unlikely that it came out of that lab. And I think now it's up to countries to decide whether that's enough. And that's the bigger issue, that's politics. That's not what we were doing. We were doing the science. Historically, there have been many recorded laboratory leaks. Wang Ling Fa is a professor of emerging diseases at Duke NUS Medical School, Singapore. He spoke to a group of China correspondents recently. But you can only leak a virus when you already have a culture of live virus in your lab. When we say we have discovered a new bat coronavirus, we are saying is that we have the sequence of that bat coronavirus. This is far away from a live virus. In the last 20 years, my lab, Susan Lee's lab, you know, many labs in, in Europe, USA, Asia, we all try to isolate live bat coronavirus from bats. Uh, it's very, very difficult. And so far, the only virus that can be isolated bat coronavirus are those that can use the human ACE2 as an entry receptor. Imagine if I or certainly or anybody had succeeded to isolate the SARS-CoV-2 we know now today, it's going to be rushed to publication. So nobody's going to wait until that leak. They're going to rush that into publication. The recent WHO report labelled the lab leak theory as highly unlikely. But soon after, the Director General of the WHO, Dr Tedros, intervened. All hypotheses are on the table and warrant uh, complete and uh, further studies from what uh, have seen so far. Peter, do you have any concerns that people in the city, whether in the Wuhan Institute of Virology or elsewhere, who were working directly with bats, might have actually brought the virus in? Well, it's a possibility, and that's why we ask those questions. Of course, these things are possible. And one of the points about doing this scientifically is you can't rule things out. You can't prove a negative in science. All you can do is say, where is the evidence? And to date, there is still no evidence at all that it came from a lab. On the fact-finding mission, the scientists checked records for illnesses and antibody tests done on staff at the Institute. No one seems to have had an infection with SARS-CoV-2. The World Health Organization's recent mission to China has received a mixed reaction. The US and 13 other countries have signed a joint statement raising concerns about the report. The report lacks crucial data, information, and access. It represents a partial and incomplete picture. Last week, Philippa Lentzos and several colleagues published an open letter in the New York Times. It cited a number of problems with the WHO's mission 
and called for a full investigation into the origins of the virus. Most of us have understood from reporting that this is an investigation, but it's clearly not a proper investigation. This is a joint study. What we have at the end of that is China being able to say, we've let investigators in. Now it's over to everybody else to open their countries to have investigators in. They come out looking very much in line with their own narrative that China has had a very successful response to the pandemic, that China has done everything it can to investigate the origins. And so what I would like to see is a full and independent investigation. Coming up, what were the international team of scientists on the WHO's mission able to uncover? And does this lead us any closer to the origin of the virus? Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation... Partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024. Welcome to this uh, press conference on uh, the result and outcome of... uh, Even though the WHO mission to China may not have had the freedom to investigate a laboratory origin to the satisfaction of many observers, it is still the most thorough compilation of evidence the world has seen so far on the origin of SARS-CoV-2. really learned a lot. Uh, You will see if you dig into the report, it's a huge report. It is fair to say that as more data has emerged, it has turned the story back again to the Huanan market in Wuhan and to the possible role of an unknown intermediate animal like a civet cat, rat or mink. What we were looking for was, what is this market really like, the Huanan seafood market? Is it somewhere that sold live animals? Peter Dazak again. And we got the answer, yes it is. Is it somewhere that was importing the types of animals we know can transmit these viruses? And surprisingly, the answer is yes, it was. And then where is it getting them from? Is it shipping them in from the local area or is it bringing them across China where we know these viruses exist in the wild? And the answer to that was surprisingly yes. So we've got a real pathway for how this virus could emerge. You know, and then on the epidemiology side, looking at the human infections, were the first known cases really the first cases? Were the clusters of outbreaks before December and were they in Wuhan or somewhere else? And what we found out was... All the evidence points to it really starting in Wuhan, being an outbreak that exploded in the second, third week of December. And there's no evidence of significant transmission prior to December. So that was interesting too. Do you think that the spillover happened in the market or that that was a sort of amplification or super spreader event? Yeah, we weren't able to definitively say that yet and maybe more information will come out in the next phase of this work but you can't rule it out it it seems that Wuhan was the epicenter of the outbreak it may be that a truck driver bringing animals in from one of these farms or one of the market vendors was the first to get infected so maybe a person brought it in but another pretty likely scenario is that animals were brought in shipped in and they had the virus and people got exposed to the virus from that 
It may not even be the Huan'an market. There were other markets in Wuhan. There were hints that some of the early patients had connections to other markets. We found that 60% of the patients in December had a connection to a market, but only 30% of the whole December group were associated with the Huan'an market. So there's a lot more to look at, but I do think that this amplification event happened there. The Huan'an market sold live crocodiles, turtles, frogs and fish. But the evidence is unclear on whether live mammals were present. These are prime suspects as coronavirus hosts. These domestic wildlife breeding farms, which employed 14 million people, were designed to supply live animals into those markets. China closed them down. They put out an edict on February the 24th, right in the middle of the outbreak, and said, we're going to close down that whole industry for public health reasons. So that tells you something. China wouldn't do that unless it really thought there was a significant risk. The market environment was so contaminated. Wang Lin Far again. They can get a very high level of virus. They can even isolate live virus from environment, which have never happened, even for, you know, SARS, Hanjo, Nipper, you know. So that gives us the suggestive evidence to say the virus has been replicated, at least in one of those animals traded in the market. Unfortunately, when they went in on December 31st, they could not find any evidence of that. But, you know, the animals could be removed before the uh, national team arrived. And can the scientists use epidemiological data to track the outbreak all the way back to patient zero? It's going to be really hard to find the so-called patient zero, the first person to ever get infected. From what we know of the animal supply chain, that person may be down in Yunnan or even across the border in another country. My best guess is that people in southern China were the first to see this outbreak, whether it went into the animals they were farming, these ferret badgers or raccoon dogs or civets, whether they got infected or not, we don't know. And then either an animal or a human brought it into that market system. It's an incredible network that would do that. And is it possible that wild farmed animals could be contaminated with coronaviruses and these could be shipped into Wuhan, either frozen or fresh? Yeah, absolutely right. Look, if you look at these wildlife markets, a lot of these farms have been closed down now. We know that. But go to December 2019, October, November, You've got this huge network of wildlife farms. They're breeding animals like civets and ferret badgers and raccoon dogs. One of them gets infected and starts a chain reaction in the farm. The virus spreads. The animals don't die straight away. And some of those animals could have been put on a truck and shipped in live into Wuhan. A trader will get a higher price if they bring live animals. Some of those animals may have started getting sick. They may have been killed skinned, the guts pulled out and put in the freezer. And that might be what we're looking at when we see these frozen products. Alternatively, there may be a place where these animals are being killed and then they're shipped in frozen. But we need to look into that and find out exactly what happened. In any case of these scenarios, it's possible, and in some cases pretty likely, that a virus would have been brought in that way. The evidence so far suggests that it's possible that the virus originated from outside of China, either through live animals or perhaps dead ones. Some virus hunters want to look over the border. It's a controversial suggestion to some, as they feel it allows China to pass the blame onto other countries. Yet it isn't a wild idea at all. There are concerns about coronaviruses in the food chain just across the southern border of China in Vietnam, Work there suggests viruses are being amplified in the very food chains themselves. 
That was a supply chain we looked at in our early investigations in Vietnam. Amanda Fine from the Wildlife Conservation Society and her team investigated the food supply chain in Vietnam. They looked at field rats. These are sold in wild meat restaurants, as well as live on animal markets. And we did find something that very much illustrates the way in which a supply chain can amplify the number of coronaviruses present. When we looked at those small-scale rat traders that may be collecting from a series of a few rice fields, we found that 20% of the samples from those rodents that were slaughtered at that point were positive for a coronavirus. These were rodent coronaviruses primarily. When we get to the large markets where you have thousands of rodents being sold a day and in those markets, there's also the sale of domestic animals, fruits and vegetables, and a lot of people moving through those markets. You get up to 30% of the samples that we collected were positive for a coronavirus. And then when we looked at our sampling at the restaurants, sort of the end users, where you do have rodents coming in from multiple different supply points, over 50% of the samples that we looked at tested positive in the lab for a coronavirus. And that study very much gives us a very specific picture into how you can get increased numbers of coronaviruses, as well as increase opportunities for mixed infections, for a single animal to be infected with two different coronaviruses, for example, and that gives the opportunity for those two viruses to recombine into a novel form. Amanda Fine's work shows exactly how the farming of wildlife, which is prevalent in China and across Asia, can serve as a melting pot for coronaviruses, posing a threat to humans for new spillover events. We also looked at wildlife farming in Vietnam. And we looked at specifically the farming of different species of rodents, including bamboo rats, as well as porcupines. And in both of those types of farm settings, we also found the presence of coronaviruses. There's a further spillover risk. Sometimes outside of farms, there's bat excrement or guano. The practice also in the Mekong Delta is the collection of bat guano for fertilizer. So in that same region, another contact site we looked at was areas usually associated with people's small farms and their homes where they erect artificial roosts to attract the bats and then collect the guano from underneath. And there also, when you look, you do find coronaviruses. We looked back. We did not find a very close relative to SARS-CoV-2 in that work, but we did find a range of alpha and beta coronaviruses, one of which we also found in rodents. Could these viruses realistically end up in central China? For decades and even centuries, Vietnam has been a natural transit country for wildlife moving from its bordering countries of Cambodia and Laos, but also further into Southeast Asia, Indonesia, Malaysia, and that is a established and quite well-studied wildlife trade route. Some of that legal, much of that illegal in today's world of wildlife protection 
and wildlife trade laws that have been put in place primarily to protect the wildlife species and to conserve biodiversity. But we have known and been concerned about how those trade chains could also move a virus. The Who's fact-finding trip was just the first phase of this story. Despite the criticisms, the team of scientists were able to uncover some leads to investigate. We're beginning the discussion around what will happen next. Peter Dazak. What needs to happen is we need to trace back further. So if the vendors into the market were coming from Yunnan province, we need to go down to Yunnan province, interview the farmers, test them, see if they've got antibodies to COVID. Is there evidence of an early spreading event in another province that could have led to that outbreak? Are there any animals left? Can we test them? We also need to look at archive samples from Wuhan, from Hubei province, and from the other provinces to see definitively if there's any evidence of early spreading, to try and trace back further to patient zero. And that can be done through frozen samples in hospitals, from people with pneumonia. It can be done from blood bank samples um, that still would be there and hopefully would still have evidence. The biologists feel that it's more urgent than ever to study and hunt down these viruses. But that brings biosecurity experts back to their greatest fear, that the very hunt for these viruses is inherently risky. Even if this pandemic didn't come from a lab or one of its researchers working in the field, it absolutely could have done. And thus, so could the next outbreak. Lab leaks causing pandemics is a real possibility. Philippa Lentzos again. And this is particularly worrying now because we have now more labs than ever working with dangerous pathogens. We have now more people working with pathogens, including SARS-CoV-2, than ever. So the risks today are greater than they have ever been. And for me, that signals a real need for a broader discussion about the sorts of risks that we're willing to take in the name of research. What are the implications of more and more high containment facilities being built globally? Does the majority of stakeholders, citizens, you, me, feel that lab manipulations of potentially pandemic pathogens is justified? Do the benefits of virus hunting really outweigh these kinds of risks? The debate about the origins of a new virus ought to be just a scientific issue. The reality is that the discussion is now impossible to separate from politics. Once an issue has become a heated political matter, many have skin in the game and sides to take. The focus on blame has made China only more insular than it usually is. That will not help anyone looking for answers. One ongoing concern is that the raw data from the early cases of COVID-19 in Wuhan have not been seen by anyone outside China. This matters because it might allow researchers to point in the direction of one theory rather than another. In many ways, it's not surprising that the world does not have an answer to how COVID-19 emerged. Hunting viruses takes years and much patience. But as time goes on, the slow progress will look less like the unpredictabilities of the scientific process and more like unwillingness from the Chinese. That could have long-term consequences. Across Southeast Asia, there are messy and complex food chains involving wild animals. It seems only a matter of time before another coronavirus jumps into humans. Preventing that should be a top global priority, but it isn't a task that any one country alone can manage. 
Our thanks to Amanda Fine, Peter Dazak, Philippa Lentzos, and Wanglin Farr. And thank you for listening to Babbage. You can find lots more analysis like this in The Economist. Why not subscribe? Get the best introductory offer by heading to economist.com slash podcast offer. That link is in the show notes. The producer is Jason Hoskin. The editor is Sandra Schmueli. I'm Natasha Loder in London. This is The Economist. Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.